Well, good morning. Um, it's really lovely to, um, to be here and uh, to be um, able to um, uh, sort of speak and sort of celebrate um, on this really special day. And I think today is a sort of day when we ask lots of why questions. Um, and I was thinking about um, the fact that probably most of us in our lives have been around small children who have asked the question why. Um, when they first asked, I always used to find it really endearing. Um, and then when they asked for the hundredth time that month, um, that week, and actually often that day, um, I find it quite wearing. And children's questions can be fairly basic, can't they? Um, like, why is the sky blue? Um, although when I was thinking about that, I realized that's actually probably more complicated an answer than it is a question. Um, but sometimes their questions can be incredibly deep. And as they get older, their questions can be really challenging and thought-provoking. And if you ever want to be really challenged in your faith um, or discuss really interesting questions, um, I would really recommend spending time with youth. Um, it's probably one of the best things you could ever do. Um, it's definitely been one of the hardest things I have ever done in church. Um, but also, I would say it's been one of the most rewarding things as well. And on a day like today, um, on Remembrance Sunday, I think most of us will be asking the question, why? Why is there still so much pain and suffering in the world? Why do we humans never seem to learn? Why do we continue with wars and fighting? Why are we causing our planet and ourselves so much pain and grief? And then there's the personal suffering. The stories on the news are in our communities, with the friends that we love, and in our own lives. We've seen so much of it, haven't we, over the last couple years and over the last couple weeks. And we just want to ask, or sometimes shout at God, why? Well, you might be sitting here this morning, and perhaps that's exactly how you're feeling. When we read through the four Gospels, Jesus seemed to spend a lot of his time answering his disciples' why questions. The Gospels are full of their questions, and Jesus seems to patiently answer them time after time, although not often in a way they expected. When Jesus started talking about his own death, they had so many questions. Jesus dying was not something that they anticipated, and they didn't understand. So Jesus tried to explain it a bit like this. Now you might think this is slightly random and we will get onto Ecclesiastes in a bit, um, but bear with me and Jesus for a while. In John chapter 16, Jesus said, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the pain because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Forgetting pain after labour must be creation's way of ensuring that the world became populated. After our first daughter was born, um, in excruciating three days of labour, which ended in an emergency caesarean, if I'd not forgotten all that pain, daughter number two would definitely not have been born. Um, but I'd literally forgotten all about the pain the next day, um, although I think probably the labour drugs might have helped with that. Um, my husband John hasn't forgotten, um, and I don't think he ever has. Plus, he also brings up the fact that both our daughters meant that he missed the World Cup and the Football Euros, um, and he's not forgiven me for that. Um, but I also don't give him much sympathy. But anyway, um, as a father, 
he didn't give birth, so what he remembered actually is irrelevant and really didn't matter too much. But the point of all this is what Jesus goes on to say next. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and will, you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Just like a new mother experiences pain during childbirth, but joy afterwards, so the disciples would experience the pain of Jesus' death, but joy after. When Jesus went to the cross, he would be gone. The pain would be overwhelming for the disciples. But then the resurrection was coming, and their joy would be overwhelming. Jesus knew this. But the disciples did not yet know this. For us, we live knowing about the cross as well as the resurrection. And so we know the pain, but we also understand that there is future joy. We experience good things, but we're also living in the now and the not yet, the time when we still see terrible things, illness, hunger, injustice, war, so much pain. Just like the passage read to us from Ecclesiastes, we experience different times in life. We experience times of birth and death, times of weeping and laughing, mourning and dancing. There are times to embrace and to refrain, and we've understood that in a completely new way, haven't we, over the last couple of years. There are sadly times of conflict but there are also times of peace. And just as the writer of Ecclesiastes understood, this is the state of life as we know it. In this life, we experience all of these, all of these things. And we hold them in balance, longing for the good, but also experiencing the bad. But sometimes the bad seems to outweigh the good so much, and we continually cry out, why, Lord? You may wonder at this piece of writing in Ecclesiastes appearing as it is in the Bible. It's apparently an ancient style of writing called pessimism literature. And this is why it's really important to work out what style of literature we're reading in the Bible. And it's why I love the fact that the Bible is not just full of stories and poems about perfect people. This book of Ecclesiastes is written by someone like you and me. Someone who is questioning God and questioning life and trying to work out why life happens as it does and how to live with God in the midst of it. But while other examples of pessimism literature in the same era are just full of pessimism, there's a difference in this book. Although the teacher of Ecclesiastes speaks bleakly about some aspects of life which he sees around him, um, he talks about death and mourning and hating and war, but he also sees the possibility of life, joy, faith, and assurance in the goodness of God. But his is not a superficial faith with unrealistic optimism. He knows that this life is tough, Death happens, war happens, pain happens. But he chooses to believe good things about God despite what he now experiences. And so he holds out a challenge for all of us 
to live a life of joy and faith with God and with God in the midst of suffering rather than ignoring what's going on around us. And then we see a promise tucked right in the middle of this Ecclesiastes passage. God has made everything beautiful in its time. It's a bit like the promise that Jesus gave his disciples. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. No one will take away your joy. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Life is hard, but beauty wins and joy wins. That's the promise. And what do promises like this give us? They give us hope. They give us a longing. We need to know that what is happening today, what we're working for today has a meaning in eternity. That what we pour into the lives of those around us, our families, our communities and our world, we need to know that it's got a meaning and a purpose, that it has a future. And this is where the next part of the verse comes in, and it's one of my favourite parts of the Bible. He has also set eternity in the human heart. God has set eternity in the human heart. Some versions use the word heart, some use mind. In biblical Hebrew, not that I read it, but apparently the heart is where we feel feelings and think thoughts, and it's where we make choices. So when we read heart here, it's best understood as the inner person. Our thoughts, our feelings, and our intentions. It means the center of who we are. It's how we've been trying to explain the soul over the last few weeks in this series on soul keeping. God has set eternity in the human soul. God has set eternity in the human soul. While we're called to look after and love our bodies while we have them now, we know that these mortal bodies will eventually die. But our soul is not mortal. And our soul needs a future. And our soul longs for a future. John Altberg, who wrote the book Soul Keeping that we've been using this term, said, we have a radar for eternity. We have an instinct that life does not end with the grave. And we have a hunger that this world cannot satisfy. Look at the pyramids built by the pharaohs who hoped for an afterlife. It's not a new thing. We have been longing for eternity forever. We know that what we have now is not enough. And we know that what we have now is not the end. God has placed eternity in our souls. Why do we have this longing? The Bible tells us that, he has, that God has put this longing within us because we are made for something more. We are made for eternity with him. And eternity starts right now. It's not a distant, far off thing. And it also means that what we do now, what we live for now, what we give our lives to now, are part of the eternal plan that God has for us. 
But our souls are not just made for eternity with God. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. If our souls were just made to love God and nothing else, Jesus would have stopped after the first part. But he added the second, not as an afterthought, but as part of the whole. We are called to love God and love each other. Our souls are for God and for each other. We are called to love our world, love our neighbour, love God, because all of this together is our eternal calling and our eternal longing. As we seek to follow God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, in this dance of eternity, together, he calls each of us to love him, to love our world and to love each other. And he asks us to do this in the way that he has uniquely called us and gifted each one of us. And God showed us exactly what this looks like through the life and death of Jesus. Jesus didn't just spend his life in the synagogues and temples. He took on the very heart and the very nature of a servant. And the call of a servant is to serve others. God the Son, Jesus, chose to be born, to live and die amongst us. He chose to start his life in a stable and he lived his life in carpentry workshops, on the road and in the homes of those who were classed as nobodies and outcasts. And as he died for us, Jesus cho chose death with other outcasts, with the criminals. But God did not plant death in the human heart. Jesus conquered death. And in the place of his most brokenness came our salvation, our healing, our hope, and the triumph over sin and evil in our world. Rather than death, God planted life life and hope in our souls life which doesn't wait until these physical bodies die but life which begins now and extends into eternity and one of the quotes i love throughout the soul keeping book is this one by dallas willard who um and it says i am an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in god's great universe I am an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. God planted eternity in our hearts, in our souls, so that we would always be longing for something more, so that we would not stop seeking life beyond ourselves. And this is the very final answer to all those why questions. Life is tough now. Life includes suffering now. But God has made everything beautiful in its time. And has God has set eternity in our souls. So that we will not stop seeking life beyond ourselves. So that we won't stop seeking him. So that we will always long to worship him. And we're going to spend a few moments just reflecting on that in the quiet. And I think the question that God is asking of us is this, 
Do we feel this sense of eternity in our souls? Do we feel this longing for our creator God? Do we feel this longing to worship him now and for eternity? It might be the first time you've thought about this or wanted to respond to it, and I just say don't run away from it. Um, now is a great day to think about this. Or it may be that God is reawakening something in you and actually is calling you to um, sort of reimagine what life with him looks like. So I'm just going to pray in the quiet. And I'm going to pray, come Holy Spirit. Come Lord Jesus. Come Father God. Pray that you would reawaken this sense of call for our hearts, our souls to be with you for eternity in us today.